Hey guys, this is Thomas, one of the hosts of BAMS Radio, and I just want to shed a little bit of light on what happened this evening with the show. Unfortunately, we had some gremlins that for once the wizard got out wizarded by. So here's what we've got instead. I've got some audio that we'll play for you. I'll be introing and outroing each piece. And also, because it is, there is a football game you might have heard. It's against Kentucky this weekend. I'm going to take a couple of minutes before we even start the audio, and I'm going to talk about what to look for from the Kentucky Wildcats this weekend. It's my bully pulpit, and uh, for once I am going to use it. So let's talk briefly about Kentucky. Kentucky Wildcats were thought to be a potential sleeper, whatever you want to call it, a team that could make a bowl. They could get over the hump. You know, Their coach, Mark Stoops, or Mike Stoops, excuse me, has put together some great recruiting classes and they're going to be you know ready to put challenge even though they weren't and the brutal honest truth is that team has looked absolutely putrid three of their four games their first game they gave up a 35 point lead to southern miss then they proceeded to get railroaded by florida 45 10 they did beat South Carolina, though why anybody hangs their hat on that, I have yet to figure out. But what you're going to see from them is, quite frankly, Alabama's going to come out and do what they did to Kent State if they play a complete game. They'll beat Kentucky by you know, 25, 30 points, and you'll see a bunch of young players play. I will be interested to see if the game plan that Alabama employed against Kent State makes a reappearance against Kentucky because Kentucky's defense does have some talent on it. Matt Elam of Recruit Nick fame, former five-star player, is this monstrous 6'7", 360-pound nose tackle. And he's going to be manning the middle. But it's going to be worth noting that that's not a size guy that really does good things against the Crimson Tide. Matt Elam might be able to occupy two blockers in the middle and keep a middle linebacker clean, but that doesn't matter on a zone read when Jalen Hurts just runs around him. So I I really do expect the Alabama offense to keep hitting that tenor that they hit with Kent State. I don't think they're going to rip off the 48 points, the 41 points and a half that you saw against the Golden Flashes, but I think Alabama is going to win this one comfortably. Uh, there was a question, I'm going to give a shout-out to my guy, Play Like a Champion, about how Tony Brown will be used. Tony Brown, if you missed the news, is back with the team after a four-game suspension handed down by the NCAA. And how is he going to see time? What, where is he going to be? And the short answer to that is, on defense, it remains to be seen. And I'll break down what I mean in just a second. But I will say that you will see Tony Brown back on special teams. Think back to last year. It really was a Tony Brown, Tony Brown, Keith Holcomb, even Sean Burgess Becker before he decided to transfer. They were really the stalwarts of the special teams unit. Yes, to Minka Fitzpatrick's credit, he did have a blocked punt for a touchdown against Georgia. And that it's not just the Tony Brown, Keith Holcomb, Burgess Becker show last year. But a lot of the special team stuff that you saw will again happen with Tony Brown coming in there. Then let's talk about the defense a little bit. And Tony Brown, I don't want to say he's going to be a victim of the fact that it is a closed-up backfield or a very competitive backfield, but it looks that way. 
If you look at the corners, which Tony Brown had practiced with when he was a younger player, it's tough for me to see him supplanting Anthony Averett because I believe Anthony Averett has grown by leaps and bounds since he has started, you know, really starting, started starting, part my, pardon my parlance. But so you, if he's not going to undo Anthony Averett, he's certainly not going to undo Marlon Humphrey and Minka Fitzpatrick, which not surprising. Now you have to look at the safeties. Two safeties on the field almost all the time. He's not going to supplant Eddie Jackson. That's just not going to happen. That is a pipe dream. Now, Ronnie Harrison, though, Ronnie Harrison is an interesting case because if you watch the tape with Ronnie Harrison, Ronnie Harrison is an elite athlete that is undeniable, fantastic athlete. But I can think of two or three plays, two of them in the Ole Miss game and one in the Kent State game, that show that the young man does need some work. He took a bad angle against Kent State on that early drive, long run, the one thing that Kent State did well against the Alabama first-team defense. Was it specifically Ronnie Harrison's fault that it turned into such a long gain? No, I would be willing to bet if you rolled it all the way back, you could find some errors that other players had. But it's unequivocal that Harrison took a bad angle on that play. Then you talk about Ole Miss, Harrison did a very similar thing with Ole Miss's first touchdown. Took a bad fill, made a bad guess. Akeem Judd breaks out a 21 or 22-yard touchdown. And then finally, the play that I've cited before, the Evan Ingram busted play touchdown. Ronnie Harrison bit on the pitch trying to get downhill. Evan Ingram ran past him. Touchdown Ole Miss. Those are plays that, with time and with experience, will not be as catastrophic anymore. But... I think there is an ongoing question, and the question is for the defensive coaching staff, for Jeremy Pruitt, Nick Saban, et cetera, et cetera, does, do they, excuse me, do they feel comfortable enough letting Ronnie Harrison go through growing pains against a Kentucky or even against an Arkansas? Arkansas is an interesting team that we'll talk about next week, and with Ronnie Harrison growing, there might be some more busts, a la what I just arranged, but we simply don't know. And the other question is, is Tony Brown better? But that's really where, if you see Tony Brown on defense with the first team, I think he's very solidly in a battle with Hootie Jones for the other for the second team strong safety position. Or maybe even the dime back remains to be seen, though. But it's going to be an interesting circumstance. The great part about this weekend is that there are a lot of opportunities for young players to play because I do think Kentucky will be, uh, let's just go with outclassed. I think outclassed is the way to put it. And so it's going to be Kent State 2.0. What young player, what nacho guy still has eligibility and can put on a pair of pads, and that's what you're going to see against Kentucky. But that being said, let's get right into some audio, some of the audio that we're going to play for you. Drew DeArmond, our other host, was uh, nice enough to provide me with this audio. The first clip is from Will Lowry. Will Lowry responded and articulated some of his issues with the now-confirmed transfer, or the reporting, you know, Nick Saban confirmed it on his radio show that he's left the program, of backup quarterback Blake Barnett. So here's that. This is Will Lowry and Drew DeArmond coming at you. Will, uh, welcome uh, back to Talking Ball. Great to catch up with you. How are you this morning? Hey, what's going on, Drew? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I'm uh, 
Hard at work, take a few minutes out to talk to you guys. Glad to be back. Uh, I came on a few times last year and, and uh, talked about the Tide, so I'm um, glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. We're honored to be joined by you. We hope to be able to catch up with you periodically through the football season as we watch the Tide compete uh, for national championship number 17. And uh, we enjoyed your commentary last year on their journey to the 16th national championship. And the first thing to, to start off with, of course, they, they caught all the headlines uh, yesterday, uh, early in the evening and late afternoon, was the Blake Barnett situation. It looks like he has left the program and is transferring. Uh, no one is surprised because, again, you can only play one quarterback. Jalen Hurts is a true freshman who has already won this job. He is a redshirt freshman in Barnett. But I think the timing is what's really bothering everyone. And I know you were very outspoken on Twitter about that. And, and uh, you were, of course, a, a, in special circumstances. You worked your way up from a walk-on to become a part of one of the best defenses in college football history. Uh, but just your thoughts on Barnett and the way this was handled. Yeah, and let me just go ahead and put the disclaimer out there. I, I don't know the full situation. I don't know all the details. Correct. Uh, I don't know Blake personally. Um, so, you know, I probably shouldn't have popped off like I did on Twitter. But, you know, I mean, I take it for what it's worth. Um, you know, on the surface level, I, I just think it's, it's really just very embarrassing for him personally. I mean, you know, when you – I mean, sports these days, are, are they're year-round, all of them, especially football and especially when you get to the collegiate level and especially at Alabama. And, you know, the way that that all breaks down is basically the off-season and the in-season. And with winter and spring workouts and summer conditioning, uh, then you roll into summer workouts and, and summer conditioning, and then summer and fall camp, uh, all that off-season kind of builds up. You're working, uh, and then you get to the in-season. And um, it's all, all the off-season work is preparation uh, to get ready for the season, which is what counts. And the season is a, a journey. It's a mission uh, with your teammates. And it's hopefully what we account for and shoot for is a 14-game mission uh, that hopefully culminates in, you know, an opportunity to play for the SEC championship, and then uh, that will ultimately lead into uh, the national title. And, um, you know, obviously Alabama has been in the mix for the national title almost every year for the past decade. And when I was there, we had a huge mural on the wall of the mountain. And there was a flag at the bottom of the mountain that symbolized us as a team. And then there were flags for each team that we played each week of the season spaced along the trail up to the, the summit of the mountain, kind of symbolizing the journey up to the mountain, uh, which culminated with, like we said, the SEC championship and a bowl game. So you take it one, one week at a time, you know, 14 games and all, and it's a journey with, with your brothers. And, you know, never once did I ever – see anybody leave in the middle of that journey mission you know for for any reason other than you know their hand was forced whether it was you know they had something happen grade-wise or they got arrested you know something like that uh i've never i never saw anyone just you know voluntarily up and leave in the middle of the season that played uh such an important cog to the team as the backup quarterback is which i mean you know with jalen hurts being the starting quarterback now after you know blake started a game uh, he's a dual threat guy, you know. I mean, especially in the SEC. I mean, absolutely zero ill will or, or would never wish injury on anyone. But the threat of of getting injured as a dual threat quarterback is certainly greater uh, than any other, you know, uh, than just a, a regular pocket passing quarterback. I mean, you know, the the uh, the chance that Jalen gets injured and Blake has to or a backup has to step in is pretty, you know. I mean, it's it's irrelevant 
percentage, I would say. Um, so I, I just, man, I don't know. I can't fathom it. I mean, in the middle of the season, four games into the journey with your teammates that you've been working for all off season to just up and leave because you're not getting as much playing time as you want. I just don't see it, man. I mean, there's 130 guys on the team, and you don't think every single one of them wants to be on the field? I mean, only 11 guys can be on the field at a time. But that doesn't mean that not everybody on the team serves a role and a purpose to the team. And Coach Saban is a full proponent of that. I mean, he made me buy into it. I didn't always, you know, I mean, growing up as a kid, you think scout team, everybody jokes about it, as, you know, in high school and stuff, you know. You think it's not important. It is important, you know. I mean, you got to have guys that give effort and give a look to prepare the guys that are going to play. So it's a role, you know. They may not get as much fanfare as the starters. You know, that most fans probably or don't know more than half of them, most of them. You know, never heard their names, never seen it. But they play a role. That's why they get to go to the bowl game. That's why they get a ring. That's why they're involved. I mean, they're a part of the team. And the backup quarterback is an extremely important position on the team. So for him to just up and leave in that position at this point of the year, I just it just befuddles me. I just don't really have any words for it. So, Again, take it for a grain of salt. I'm not there. I don't know all the details, but you know, I, I just I don't agree with it. And uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm I, honestly, it's kind of funny. I'm sure that Saban is kind of thinking to himself, you know, what if he wants out, fine. You know, I know how important every one of those scholarships is to Saban. I'm sure he's ready to bring somebody else in. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, buy in or get out. I guess. Well, and again, uh, another thing too is, uh, and you made a great point about the injury situation. Jalen Hurts tweaked his wrist against Ole Miss, and then you saw the hard shot he took uh, on that sack. Uh, Blake Barnett could have easily had to go into that game. Very easily. And that's just one of, you know, a bunch of SEC games that we're going to play the rest of the year where the guys hit hard, they play for four quarters. It's going to be a difficult long season. So I I just don't understand it, you know, um, and I've, I think that from what I've understand or been told, you know, that I guess by transferring now, uh, he has the opportunity to go to JUCO and then next season be able to sit out only four games as opposed to a full year um, or something like that, which, you know, I, I guess I can understand at least where he's coming from. He wants to get on the field sooner, but it doesn't change anything in my eyes. I mean, you just don't leave your team in the middle of battle, man. I mean, it's the middle of, of a war, a long season. And it's just getting started. I mean, you're just rolling in the thick of it, the SEC uh, stretch run here through the conference. I mean, I just don't see it. Um, you know, I guess I, I wish the best to him. I'm never going to wish anything ill on him, but I just totally disagree with, with uh, that decision. And, you know, I mean, Coach Dave, it's, it's about the team. I mean, it's a team sport. I mean, that's what you try and preach. That's what it teaches. You know, it teaches you how to work with folks. You know, I'm talking to a kid that I'm mentoring the other day wants to play basketball I'm talking about how it's about the team and it's what sports teach you you know how to work with other people how to achieve a goal a common goal with others around you that you're working with and working for Um, and you know that just seems to continue to kind of get a little bit more and a little bit more lost each year Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the recruiting process I mean we could go on and on about maybe the reasons for it these kids are certainly blown up to a level and, and and you know getting so much publicity at such a young age that it puts their head in, in a position that it shouldn't be in. Um, so, you know, they've got a lot of factors kind of working against them, I guess, when they're at a younger age and they're not, you know, they're not able probably to make uh, decisions of the magnitude that they do have sometimes. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just don't see it. I, I think that you've got to continue to fight out the year with your teammates at the end of the year, reassess your situation. If you, if you think you need, you ought to leave and, you know, you need to, 
serve your family, trying to get to the NFL, and, and you're better served elsewhere, go for it. At the end of the year, though, I mean, you finish the mission, you reassess at that time, and, you know, to each his own. But, you know, everybody wants to play. You know, if everybody wasn't happy about not playing transfer, there wouldn't be anybody but, you know, 22 guys on the team and a few specialists. I mean. Yeah, that's well I, said. I mean, I don't blame you at all. And, and you were a guy that had to uh, work your way up the chain uh, as a walk-on to become an integral part of the football team. And so you had to, to fight and scratch and claw. And as you said, sometimes in the recruiting process, a lot of these guys are uh, blown up to be, uh, you, know, it, 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 you know, they have an inflated uh, opinion of themselves and, a, and they have to kind of be deprogrammed when they get to Alabama. I, I don't know if that's exactly what happened with Blake Barnett. I know he's anxious to play, but to me, when you look at it, Will, uh, I thought he should have stuck out the season at Alabama, been, been continued to get playing time, and he would have, I think, in several games to gain experience. And then if you want to transfer at the end of the season, I don't blame you at all. And then, uh, to me, the, the smartest move for him, because you don't want to sit out another season, go the junior college route, do what Chad Kelly did, put up numbers, and then go to a Power 5 school and finish your career. That's right. I mean, I totally agree. And, you know, the only situation I can see where it, it makes sense to me is if you've got some kind of family need, you know, if it's a family member, oh, yeah. you know, your mom or dad gets sick or something and you, and you need to go home and be with them or, or some kind of extra, you know, extraordinary outside situation affects it, then, then maybe that, that warrants it. But, um, you know, just to up and leave because you want to play, I just don't see it. I mean, you know, there are guys that are, I mean, walk on certainly, but even a lot of scholarship guys that come in as freshmen and, and sophomores and stuff, I mean, they're, they're not even in the twos or the threes, the rotation, you know, I mean, they're buried. I mean, they would, you know, there's a lot of guys that would give anything just to be in the mix, just to be in the meeting rooms with the units that are going to be on the field and be preparing in case you had to go in, you know, I mean, it's the, it's the best program in college football right now. I mean, the run that we're on is unprecedented. I mean, to be a part of the program is a privilege and you know, it's, I, I don't know the way he throws it around so lightly. Oh, well, I'm not getting to play. I'm leaving right now. You know, I just, I don't know. I mean, if that's the kind of attitude that he has, then, you know, good riddance. We're, we're, the team will be better without that kind of attitude around him. So, and, um, and that's a, a very interesting take and, and one that I, I agree with. If that's the, uh, if that's the attitude, then I, I do think, and I think coach Saban would be the same way. He, he talked about that yesterday in his press conference. He made uh, reference to wanting guys that are with the team comes first. And as you also uh, pointed out on Twitter, you said uh, the, uh, one of the, one of Saban's quotes, it's etched in your brain forever. It's not about you. What about the team? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's the M.O., that's what it's about. That's what team sports are about, and Coach Saban does a really good job of preaching that. And it kind of, you know, goes back to what I said. I mean, everyone on the team has a role. The equipment managers have a team on the role. The, the coaches have, a, excuse me, a role on the team. The coaches have a role on the team. The, the you know, the staff in the back room, they have a role. The, the compliance folks, they have a role. Everyone has a role in the program that ultimately leads to success of the team. And that's what should come first. And it just... Like we're saying, just more and more doesn't seem to be that way. But Coach Saban does a really good job of, of kind of implementing that in you. And I can assure you, if there are situations where you put yourself first, I mean, I've seen Coach blow up on folks, I mean, to no end if you get a personal foul because there's nothing more selfish than taking a swipe at somebody because you think that they wronged you or something and costing the team 15 yards during a game. I mean, that's when he really screamed it at somebody. I'll let him go unnamed at this time, but – um, personal foul on an, on an extra point that cost us 15 yards uh, the other, on the kickoff. The other team got it, came down and was able to kick a field goal right before halftime. Cost us three points, you know I mean? 
how, you know, how, how did that serve you, man? You got to hit the guy back and you cost us three points. You know, was it worth it? What, you know, good for you. What about the team? You know, and uh, like I say, he just does a really good job of implementing that across the board um, in all situations. I mean, guys trying to, you know, I mean, I remember him blowing up at halftime one time because he noticed how many guys had, you know, little sweatbands all around their knees and ankles and six of them on each arm and, you know, just stuff trying to stick out and be individual and, and, and stick out and be an individual apart from the team. You know, I mean, anything like that, he's going to, you know, if you try and pop your head up, he's going to nail you back down into the team. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, he's not going to come out and publicly say it. I'm sure cause it, it wouldn't sound good. But if, if, if the way that it looks on the outside is the situation where he's indeed just angry that he's not playing and he's leaving right now, then, you know, I'm sure Coach Saban is glad he's gone. I mean, you know, like you, like you said, he wants guys that want to be there and put the team first, and that's what it's about. That's what we should all want. I mean, whether that's in, in work, uh, at school, on a project, or, or on a football team or any other team. I mean, you want guys to put the team first. So self-serve has, has no place on the team. Absolutely, and then we're now we're going to uh, talk about the current team. And I know uh, you probably heard about the Tim Williams situation. That's unfortunate. Uh, it'll be a minor setback for him. We'll see what kind of punishment he gets uh, for uh, this uh, the early morning arrest uh, for the carrying a gun without a permit. But I will say this about Tim Williams and and about Ryan Anderson, the other outside linebacker. It goes back to a point you said about being a part of the team and and not leaving when you're not playing. Uh, Ryan Anderson was heavily recruited, and so was Tim Williams. Both of those guys really didn't become factors until they were redshirt juniors, and they had to wait for their opportunity. That's a perfect example. And those guys have done a great job. I mean, that's what it's about is coming into the program and working hard and earning your way in and being appreciative of the time that you do get on the field and making the most of it, taking advantage of opportunities. So, you know, and, and last thing I'll say, obviously Blake had every opportunity to, to take advantage of his situation. So, you know, it, it played out how it did, and uh, but – you know, the team looks great this year. Uh, there's definitely some areas we need to improve. I think the offensive line uh, and, and our, our running backs need to continue developing uh, some more cohesion and, and getting more settled in and, and comfortable and really establishing themselves, especially earlier on in the games, uh, to establish the line of scrimmage and move the ball on the ground. That's what we've been about. That's how you, that's how you dominate and take the will out of folks over four quarters. Uh, that's an area I think we need to continue to improve. Uh, the defense looks great, like you say, the front. Uh, those guys, I mean, I don't think I've said anybody's name more over the last two years than Tim Williams. It's very unfortunate, uh, the situation that he's gotten himself into. Uh, like you say, we'll see how it plays out. But, um, you know, him along with the rest of the guys in the front, Dalvin Tomlinson, all those guys have, have done a tremendous job of not buying into the hype that they got all off season and uh, really coming out and attacking this season and wanting to be great. I mean, you can see the hunger in that unit. They want to be a great defense. They want to be mentioned in the same breath as some of the ones that have come before them and, and some of the best in the history of the game. I mean, they've got that level of ability. And, you know, they, certainly we gave up a bunch of yards in the air. I think our, our DBs, uh, you know, if anything, I think we've got a really solid unit this year in the secondary. Um, if there's a weakness, I think it's still just playing the ball in the air, uh, turn around and finding the ball, playing it, and not letting – you know, not getting too wrapped up in your man, um, which is easy to do when you play as much man coverage as we do. So, uh, you know, Chad was Chad Kelly and, and Ole Miss was able to have some success in the air against us. They made a few big plays. Um, but that's going to happen when you've got a guy that can throw it like him and some big receivers on the outside. Um, you know, they, they made some plays. And Chad threw some unbelievable throws. I mean, he put it on the money, in a pocket, you know, just right on a dime multiple times, made some incredible throws. Um, so, you know, they moved the ball on us, but 
Uh, I think uh, Coach Pruitt's done a great job this year of, of playing schemes that fit to our guys. Uh, you know, he knows he doesn't have to rush six guys every time to get to the quarterback because we've got such a good front. Um, we've done a really good job of stopping the run early and making the other teams one-dimensional and uh, getting after the quarterback. So uh, defense looks really good so far this year. Um, you know, offense still got some areas we can improve. Uh, we, we we still got some areas we could have guys step up, um, you know, and make some plays, uh, make us more explosive down the field. Um, but you know, one of the, Jacobs, the, Josh Jacobs, the running back man, he's he's really impressed me uh, the last few weeks. You know, he had, wasn't getting as many snaps uh, the first few games up until this last week when we had some injuries. But um, he's done a really nice job. He seems like a really complete back. He's got uh, a lot of skills. You know, he can block. He steps up. He fills the hole. Um, he's he's moves well. He he gets downhill in a hurry. Uh, keeps his pad level low. I, I really like uh, watching him run the ball, honestly. I like watching him on the field. So uh, glad to see him getting opportunities. It'll be fun to see him continue to develop. And uh, obviously Jalen Hurts, I mean, a, a dual-threat guy with as much talent and ability as he has. I mean, he's basically a running back with a, a, a ridiculously strong arm and a, a calm, almost a, even already a veteran-type sense of a quarterback feel on the field and command of the huddle, it looks like. Um, so it's going to be really exciting to watch that guy for a few years. I've always kind of wanted us to develop a, a freshman quarterback or a younger guy to, to see us play somebody for a few years. You know, obviously we've been able to, to uh, have success at the very highest level and win championships, you know, with one- and two-year guys uh, who got the job done. But uh, it's just really exciting to see us bringing on uh, a, a true freshman with his level of ability. Um, I'm sure that Lane Kiffin's just having a blast drawing up plays and, and uh, bringing stuff along for him. Um, so it's it's going to be fun to watch the rest of this year. I mean, we've got, like I said, we've got some areas we need to improve. We've got some time to do that. Um, but we're really about to get into the home stretch here where we've got to establish an identity as a team and uh, really start rolling through these uh, SEC opponents and uh, and getting ready for the late season uh, late season battles with LSU and, and Auburn and those guys. doesn't matter what kind of success they're having right now. Those are always going to be battles that have huge implications on uh, the outcome of the SEC and, and uh, the national title. Absolutely. And then to wrap it up with you, Will, and we really appreciate your time. We know you're a busy guy with your career uh, down there in the Daphne area. But I wanted to ask you uh, about uh, – you talked a little bit about Jalen Hurst, and you were around uh, three quarterbacks, John Parker Wilson, Greg McElroy, and then A.J. McCarron. And you saw how, as a true freshman, he handled himself uh, at Ole Miss against a very talented opponent. Uh, he just seems to have uncommon maturity. Has has what he's done so far, has it really uh, really amazed you? It has me, being a true freshman. I never thought I would see a true freshman, I guess, in the lineup uh, for Coach Saban at quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I didn't think I'd see the day when a true freshman uh, was was running the running the offense, especially this early in the season. Um, it's kind of funny, you know. His first snap in there, it's kind of like, well, let's see what he's got, you know. And immediately he fumbles and kind of turned to my wife, said, "Well, it can only go up from here, you know." And uh, little did I know just how high it would go from there. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's really exciting to see. I mean, uh, the, the three guys that I played with, uh, the three quarterbacks I played with, were all great quarterbacks. They really were. I'd, I'd go to battle with them every day of the week, twice on Sunday. Great quarterbacks, um, and you know they did a great job with what they had. Uh, I think that you know John Parker probably could have had a little more success if he'd have had the weapons that we've had the last few years, uh, and you know the, the offensive line that we've had the last few years uh, when he was playing. Um, but you know obviously he, he took us from you know one quarter from the national title uh, his last year. Uh, and then Greg did a great job of, of uh, like we say, utilizing the weapons around him, playing within himself, and uh, and ultimately guiding us to the, the ultimate trophy. And uh, same with AJ, who's having a great career. 
uh, in the NFL right now. I, I think that you'll see him get a shot. I don't know whether it's a trade or, or what, you know, after his rookie contract expires or what, but I, I think you'll definitely see him get a shot to become the man somewhere uh, in the next couple of years because uh, he's really stepped up when, when uh, the Bengals have needed him. So uh, that's been exciting to see. And, uh, you know, getting back to Jalen, I mean, like you say, it's just really exciting to see. I mean, uh, when he took that shot at LSU, which was about as seemed as clear a targeting call as, as you could you could make, I mean, you know, by definition of the rule, whether you like the rule or not. Um, and, I mean, he took one right to the chop. I mean, straight to the jaw. Never saw the guy coming. Probably just completely gave him, you know, lights exploding in his head. Drops the ball, gets up to see, you know, 80,000 people screaming and yelling and the other team running the opposite direction for the touchdown with the ball he just dropped. I mean, a lot of guys can fold in that situation. I can assure you it doesn't feel good uh, as a defensive back when – you know, some of the other team goes over your head for 80 yards for a touchdown, and that whole stadium is rocking on top of you, yelling and screaming, people going everywhere. You know you let your team down. It's a terrible feeling. Um, and for a guy at his age to be able to bounce back like he did and lead the comeback that he did, I mean, man, it says a lot about him as a person, uh, and it says a lot about him as a player. So uh, that was really exciting to see, and it's just, it's just crazy that he's so young and it's so early in his career. I mean, we're still only four games in, you know, three games as a starter. I mean, it's just exciting to think about the potential that he has and, and what the future holds for this guy because the sky's the limit. I mean, he's got all the tools. I mean, when he runs the ball, you know, he runs straight through arm tackles. You can tell he's got the strength that he was hyped up for. Uh, the arm strength is evident from his first touchdown throw. Um, he, he's got all the tools in the bag, and he seems to have a head on his shoulders. So uh, the sky's the limit, especially with the coach that we've got and, and the guys that he's got around him. Um, it's just going to be really exciting to watch him unfold over the next few years. It really is. And then the final question for you, because it's uh, your position, uh, how special really is Eddie Jackson? Because I, I gave everyone a stat after the Ole Miss game. He's touched the ball uh, 14 times in his career and scored five times. Uh, you know how tough it is to play safety in the SEC. He had he had the knee injury, had to move from corner to safety. And I really thought last year, as I said in the preseason, it was like a light switch went off for the defense. He was the missing piece. What a career he's had. Yeah, he's been really impressive. I mean, it seems like he's been there forever because he's been playing for so long. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, like you mentioned, the switch from, from corner to safety in and of itself is just so impressive. I mean, you can't fathom how difficult it is to play on the outside in the SEC. I mean, lining up against the best athletes in the country, playing one-on-one, man-to-man as much as we do, and doing it at the level he did and, and having the success that he did, uh, was incredible. And then to turn around, have the ACL injury, which, you know, also I can attest to is a very difficult injury, difficult to come back from both mentally and physically. Uh, for him to be able to come back from that and make the transition uh, to safety, which is a completely different position, different mindset, a uh, different way you play the game, a different way you call the game, a uh, different way you, you manage with your teammates around you, um, just completely different in all aspects. Um, for him to roll in and just become the playmaker that he has is just incredible. It really is. Like you say, I mean, every time he touches the ball, he's got the playmaking ability to take it to the house every time he gets it in his hands, whether it's a punt return or an interception or a fumble. Um, he's that kind of electric player. Uh, so seeing him back there, it's, it's a good feeling. You know, I mean, teams, I think, really are uh, probably scared uh, to throw him up, you know, throw up beat balls and Hail Marys before halftime with him back there because it's like a kick return. And, you know, I mean, he can read the field, read the blocks, and, and get from one end to the other in a hurry if you're not careful. Um, he's done a great job. But the whole secondary, man, Marlon Humphrey's really come on this year, uh, another Hoover guy uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's really developed nicely. You know, he, he had a lot of 
hype coming in and played well his first year and, and uh, obviously has uh, maintained that hunger to get better. I mean, he's really come leaps and bounds from last year. I mean, he's the total package at corner now. Really physical guy, can keep up with anyone speed-wise. Uh, like we're talking about, you know, he can continue working on his ball playing ability, but, you know, that'll come. That, that, that can come with work, which he obviously has in him. Um, he's really impressed me with his, uh, the, the force that he sets on the outside and uh, his playmaking ability as well. And, you know, it just goes on from there. I mean, all those guys back there, Ronnie Harrison obviously has got the, the killer instinct back there, man. I mean, all those guys, they want to be great uh, across the board in the secondary and the defense. They want to be great, and they want to hit hard. They want to get after it. They want to blitz. They want to make plays. They, they want to do it all. So uh, it's been fun to watch them uh, this, thus far this year. And I know Coach, uh, Coach Pruitt's having a blast coaching them up and, and putting them in the positions to be successful. So, um, you know, they've got a few good tests coming up here in the next few weeks. Yeah, they really do. And uh, this has just been a fascinating conversation, Will. We want to thank you for joining us and taking a few minutes out of your very busy day to uh, catch up with us on Talking Ball and give us your thoughts on Blake Barnett and the football team up to this point. We look forward to catching up with you again down the road during this season. But thank you for your time so much. And uh, it's been a pleasure, sir. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon. Absolutely, Drew. Always enjoy it, man. Y'all have a good rest of your day. Yes, sir. Thank you. That is Will Lowry, the former Alabama defensive back and Hoover Buck, uh, giving us his thoughts. Very opinionated on Blake Barnett's departure. Uh, very uh, strong uh, co- uh, you know, comments, and, and I completely agree with him. You, you have to stick it out. Uh, to me, you have to uh, continue to be with your team throughout the entire journey of a season. I understand he wants to play, but I really believe he should have stuck it out to the end. Would not have blamed him for transferring at season's end, but he could have been uh, an integral part of this journey and and, uh, and it, it, you pray for the health of Jalen Hurts and that he can stay in the lineup but could have been needed and would have likely seen uh, playing time in several contests in the future but again we love uh, catching up with Will Lowry and that was Drew DeArmond with Will Lowry former Tide defensive back giving his take on an interesting Blake Barnett situation uh, I've talked about this on another show but I'm just going to briefly say I don't agree with the young man leaving. I don't I think that there is something character building about overcoming adversity. But I also don't know all the particulars of his situation, much like Will didn't. So if that's what he thinks is best for him, I don't begrudge him the opportunity. I wish him luck. If he were to play Alabama in a college football playoff or a bowl, if he decides to come to the SEC, well, we'll, we'll I've had a, the pleasure of interacting with him and his father, Lance, through BAMS Radio. I hope he doesn't get hurt, but I hope he doesn't win if he plays Bama. Let's put it to you like that. There's one other situation that I didn't bring up before I introed the the audio here, and that situation has everything to do with Tim Williams. If you haven't heard, Tim Williams was arrested Thursday morning about 2 a.m. and charged with possession of an illegal firearm and marijuana. And let's... First off, we have to give Mr. Williams thanks because he was asked where he got the marijuana from and said the phrase, he got it from Brandon Chicken. Well, while completely ridiculous, Brandon Chicken is now about to be the meme that keeps on giving. So for a denizen of the internet like myself, I fully intend to use Brandon Chicken to explain everything from why didn't my cloud algorithm run, because Brandon Brandon Chicken gave me a bad one, to why did the chicken cross the road to get to his buddy Brandon Chicken. All of those things are legitimate in my mind, and 
all of those things are hilarious. But joking aside, you know, he did. Tim Williams did get arrested. Nick Saban has already shaken his finger at Mr. Williams, and deservedly so. But I have a hard time believing anything's going to come of this. When you dig into the story, the gun was under a different seat than Williams was sitting in in his car. There's a whole bunch of coverage about this. And aside from the pearl clutching that, oh, this team lacks leadership and yada, 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 even though I would jump up and down screaming the phrase Jalen Hurts at the top of my lungs for the offense and point to Reuben Foster grabbing Ronnie Harrison and telling him to calm the politely calm the hell down against USC to take that notion and throw it out the window. Aside from the pearl clutching, I don't see much coming out of this. Maybe he's suspended against Kentucky, but as I said earlier, Alabama is going to beat Kentucky pretty good this weekend in my mind. So we'll see what ends up coming of the situation. But right now, if I had to guess, if I had to believe, look into it, having read some of the reporting and some of the what the court reports and whatnot, I think it's much due about nothing. All that being said, let's move on to our next audio. We have a little something from John Garcia. We have him on our show regularly, but recruiting updates are always appreciated. This is uh, another thing from Drew DeArmond. This is Drew DeArmond and John Garcia talking Crimson Tide recruiting. And John, uh, good morning. How are you? Cannot complain, Drew. Uh, football season in full swing. Got the baseball playoff push uh, to keep us busy in the meantime. Uh, all is well. Yeah, and I know you're going to be a traveling man. You're going to be catching a flight later today. Uh, but speaking of that, you were in the state of Alabama this past Friday night, uh, and uh, you were able uh, to catch uh, James Clemens at Clay Chalkville. It was a, a matchup before the season everybody was looking forward to. Uh, it, of course, it comes in the midpoint, uh, non-region play, but uh, both these squads very, very talented. Uh, James Clemens has had some issues offensively uh, with their quarterback position, but still – uh, I've watched them a couple of times. Their defense has been lights out, and I know that was the case uh, on Friday night. Yeah, you know, it almost feels like, you know, that Baltimore Ravens early 2000s defense where if you score a touchdown or two offensively, <laughs> you feel pretty good about bringing home the victory. Uh, and actually, this defense scored, or defense and special teams scored two touchdowns to, to start the game. Kyrie McDonald, the Alabama commitment, returned the opening kickoff, 80-plus uh, yards for a touchdown, and two series later, he had a pick six uh, to put James Clemens up 14 nothing. So even without the offense, James Clemens would have won this game. Um, but they're a big, strong unit offensively. So if they get a lead, they can run the football and get you, you know, three, four, five yards of play. And that's what happened in this game. They wore Clay Chalkville out offensively and defensively. You know, they've got it at every level. We've talked about it before. LeBron Ray on the defensive line, uh, he's a force. Uh, he, he's, I'll let it out of the bag. He's going to vault to number one in the state for us on scout.com uh, he checks every box he's a kid who's gotten better every time we've seen him over the last year and that's something you really look for uh in terms of these kids progressing he's actually trimmed a little bit lost a little bit of weight he looks much quicker uh, but he still has that strength and leverage ability to play the run and the pass so he anchors the d-line monty rice and sec linebacker prospect at linebacker john jenkins next to him just as good as rice a kid who has five offers but 
could command more later on. And then in the secondary, of course, as we mentioned, Kyrie McDonald playing corner safety, really patrolling and, and leading that unit back there. So it's really tough to move the football consistently on this unit. Uh, and we saw it even against the Clay Chalkwell offense that had Nico Collins, you know, the top receiver or probably top offensive prospect in the state who's 6'5", 200 pounds. So if they could shut those guys down, uh, I think they could hang with anybody uh, with that defensive unit healthy. Uh, they're going to be fun to watch here at the end. And then uh, with Kyrie McDonald and the show he put on, John, you're talking about the kickoff return, uh, then the pick six and the 50-yard run on offense. Uh, I know you've uh, talked about his rise throughout this summer uh, and uh, becoming a, one of the best players in the state of Alabama. As far as scout.com goes, as you continue to evaluate him, uh, where do you think, how, how high can he rise? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, Drew, because, you know, a kid like Kyreek, I think we're at the the beginning of evaluating guys like him. I, I remember when we first got slot receivers and how we threw them in with the traditional receivers, because we don't have a slot receiver ranking on scout. It's just a receiver ranking. So how did you put those slot guys mixed in with the traditional big, strong receivers like the aforementioned Nico Collins? And the same thing for smaller dual-thread quarterbacks. It took us a couple years to really adjust and figure out a way to get these guys incorporated with your typical pro-style 6'5", 220-pound quarterback. So I think this is where we are with McDonald. He's, he's a hybrid defender, not a corner, not a safety. He can play offense. He's dynamic with the ball in his hand. Where do you put him in the rankings? Right now he's the number two corner in all of Alabama. Uh, we like him there because he does play sort of that down safety corner, you know, in the slot nickel look more times than not on defense. So he may stay there. Uh, but, again, we're just at the very beginning of, of prospects like this. You're Tyron Matthews of the world who do a little bit of everything despite not being the biggest, fastest kid you know, uh, in the state, if you will. So now, I think it's going to take a while to adjust to it, but guys like Tyreek McDonald are, are helping us get further along in evaluating those type guys. So it doesn't mean he's going to have the big jump, but maybe guys after him with this precedent, you know, further established, will benefit from it. We're just sort of still figuring out at this point. But he's a clear, dynamic athlete, top 20 kid in the state, regardless of, of how you want to uh, throw a label on him. Uh, and, and it's going to be reciprocated going forward. He, he impresses as well every time you see him, offensively, defensively, special teams. He's physical. He can cover. He can run. He can do everything. He's just uh, not able to lock into one position. So that's just something we're going to uh, keep looking at. And then uh, you mentioned Monty Rice. I know he had a uh, interception and fifty yard return. Uh, I know that you, that this was, a, your, I believe, your first chance to see him during his season. Uh, what what were your thoughts? And then I know uh, he's being watched by several SEC programs. Yeah, you know, big, strong, downhill linebacker got the SEC look, but he's a smart kid. You know, he's he's a leader on the defense as well. Something that we don't talk enough about in looking at recruiting rankings. That off the field or in-between play stuff matters so much. Are you giving effort? Are you leading your team? Are you sort of to yourself? You know, and, and Rice is one of these kids getting on guys. Uh, there was a kid who got hurt, and Rice not only went over to check on him before any athletic training staff did, uh, but once he was sort of taking his time getting off the field, Rice let him know about it. You know, so that's the type of kid you get in Monty Rice. Uh, again, big, strong kid downhill against the run, but as you said, an interception return, and that's something we've seen a lot from Monty. He's an athletic kid. We've seen him in the Wildcat 
in years past for James Clements. He's got very good athleticism, despite maybe not looking like it at a solid, you know, 6'2", 225 pounds or so. So I think he's a versatile guy. He can play the pass. We know he's good and stout against the run with that striking ability. So um, it's a a deep year for backers in Bama. Uh, That's been well established, but Rice is still one to keep a close eye on. Georgia and Alabama had coaches there at the game. I think Georgia's a major player for him. Uh, Auburn uh, hosted him this past weekend. They're in it. Florida is in it. Arkansas is in it. So, as we said, clear SEC guy. It's just a matter of when that spot opens up and and when he's ready to commit because he's seemingly taking his time just like his buddy LeBron Ray is. And then you bring up LeBron Ray. As you said, he's going to move to number one overall for the scout.com state of Alabama rankings. I've seen him a couple of times. He was dominant the first game, not so much against uh, Bob Jones, but still was a factor in that contest. Uh, But I know the last couple of weeks he's really turned it up yet again. Uh, Can you update us on his recruitment? I know he went to see uh, the Florida-Tennessee game in Knoxville this past Saturday. Yeah, he's been a busy guy, Drew. He's, uh, he's actually been to an SEC campus each weekend of the year so far. Uh, Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Tennessee, as you mentioned, have already hosted him uh, this year. Um, so we'll see how he takes it on going forward. And all of those were unofficial visits. He's still planning on taking official visits. He does have one locked in to the Florida Gators for their LSU game next month. So He's still in the early stages, you know, compared to a lot of other elite guys. Uh, He's going to take multiple official visits. But what's interesting with him is is that he doesn't really have a timeline. He's not a guy saying, hey, I'm going to commit on National Signing Day or I'm going to commit a, you know, Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. He's going to commit when he feels like it's right. So every time he takes a visit, that school should, should, one, feel pretty good that they got him on campus when everybody in the SEC is trying to do so, but, two, there's a possibility that, you know, he falls in love. And a lot of these trips are return trips. He's a well-traveled kid who's been to a lot of these schools. Florida was really the only school he hadn't been to, and that was his last visit of the summer. So now he's going to return for a closer look. So I think um, that's positive for those programs. But, again, at the end of the day, it would be tough to imagine him escaping the state of Alabama and between uh, the Tide and Auburn. Bama is is where he's been the most. Uh, He's taken visits there that haven't been publicized uh, with his family, which is important to him. So uh, it would be an upset if anybody but Alabama won out for him. Uh, But, again, you know, no timetable. And he's taking trips to to a lot of schools, so everybody still has a puncher's chance. And then uh, Nico Collins, it looks as though he could be headed out of state. Uh, Just your thoughts on how he performed uh, on uh, Friday and then where things may stand with him. Yeah, you know, Nico's progressed nicely as well. You know, we, we've seen him for a long time because Clay's been such an ex- explosive offense and has had so much talent over the last three years. So we saw him sort of as a puff out there, as a sophomore playing with T.J. Simmons, who's now at Alabama. And he was a raw kid, you know, jump balls, maybe a couple screens, let him, you know, fall forward kind of thing. But now he's, he's got more of that complete game. Excellent route runner, strong with his hands, much more physical um, and better after the catch than we had seen in previous years you know and that's saying something for a kid who's 6'5 200 pounds he's not just a jump ball guy and, and agile enough to be a kick and putt returner for clay chocolate which as you know has a ton of athletes uh, on this team so um he, he's, he's an interesting guy he's progressed nicely about as nicely as you could have uh, hoped for uh and then in recruiting you know it's like lebron right everybody in the sec wants him but this one has extended further ray has a top group of all sec schools as to where Collins is really looking nationally 
at his recruitment. He has ties to the state of Michigan, and certainly Jim Harbaugh has taken advantage. He's taken four visits up there and was scheduled to be there this past weekend, but his ride uh, just happened to fall through. So uh, he obviously has a ton of interest in Michigan. After the game, he said Michigan, Georgia, and Alabama are all still co-leaders for his recruitment. Um, but, but if we did have to put uh, you know, a ranking between those three schools, I think the other state schools would each be ahead of Alabama, though Nico says it's pretty even between the three. He hasn't been to Tuscaloosa uh, more than once fairly recently, which is, you know, surprising for a kid outside of the Birmingham area who's, you know, less than an hour away from Tuscaloosa. So I think you track what they say, but you track what they do just as much, if not more. So Nico, obviously, uh, Michigan feels good there, uh, but he's one, unlike Ray, who does have a decision timetable. He's going to take it all the way through, planning on that national signing day decision. So so much time in between now and then, and, and Nico's fluctuated with his list in the past. He's had Bama on top at one point. Auburn was the early favorite. Clemson, Florida State have long been out-of-state teams right there. Uh, and now, as you, as we said, you know, Bama, Georgia, Michigan, uh, in whatever order you would like to create, and, you know, the one we think. So um, his list has fluctuated, so it'll be interesting to see if schools like Texas A&M, TCU, that are trying to get in the mix now, maybe even Miami, do they have time to make up the ground? Because Nico has, has been open to all suitors. So it'll be interesting to see with so much time left uh, in his recruitment. And then, uh, John, we always talk about the landscape changing. Uh, Les Miles is uh, no longer the head football coach at LSU. Ed Orgeron has taken over as interim coach, made a lot of staff changes uh, with Cam Cameron no longer there. Uh, how is that going to affect uh, the University of Alabama? Yeah, you know, Bama always recruits the state of Louisiana extremely well. Uh, this year was no different, even with Les Miles, you know, if he would have remained at LSU. Uh, obviously, uh, number one prospect in the state is, is Devontae Smith, a five-star wide receiver who I liken to Calvin Ridley with his skill set and size, actually, and demeanor, for that matter. Um, he's one who actually had sort of been moving on from LSU already, so this probably, you know, seals that part of his recruitment, which is huge news for Alabama because LSU was sort of the school in and out of his top group. Um, the school that's always been there has been Alabama since he decommitted from Georgia about a year ago. Uh, so Bama feels good there. He was on campus um, two weekends ago for that Western Kentucky game. He actually just recapped that visit with us at scout.com. He knows he's a priority. Bama's been in it with him as long as anybody. He's got friends on the team. He's got multiple coaches that he's close with. Um, even though he's going to take it all the way to signing day, and the same thing as, as Nico Collins applies as new teams try to get in the mix, you've got to feel good if you're Alabama here to lock in the number one prospect in Louisiana, which is always a big deal. Uh, I don't believe Alabama's done that since signing Cam Robinson three cycles ago. Uh, and then there's many other Louisianans and Louisiana natives Bamba is going to be in the mix for. Dylan Moses, five-star linebacker, a kid who's been recruited since middle school. Everybody remembers him on that ESPN magazine cover as an eighth grader. Um, he's going to visit Bama this weekend officially. It's his first official visit, so 48 hours on campus. Uh, and he's going to bring a lot of IMG teammates with him, including Alabama commitment and long snapper Thomas Fletcher, a kid who's been on Dylan just about every day, uh, recruiting him as a teammate at IMG Academy. So that'll be interesting. Of course, he is from Baton Rouge, so you expect LSU to be in it no matter who the coach is, but he had a particularly close bond with Les Miles. So you wonder with the timing of his visit, how much ground Bama can gain. I think a school like Texas and Ohio State could also be you know, in the mix for Moses. He's another one, as we said, have, is going to wait it out, especially now that the LSU situation will need to play out in order for him to feel comfortable. Uh, Chris Allen is a top 100 linebacker prospect. 
versatile guy, probably an edge prospect at Alabama, that Jack linebacker position we talk about so often. He had LSU slightly ahead of Alabama, and now that this has changed, this, this move has been made, he says they're now tied. So Bama is certainly looking to take advantage there. That's probably the most tangible you know, gain Bama made by, you know, Les Miles being relieved of his duties. Uh, but, again, it's also early. You mentioned Coach Orgeron. Kids love him. He's a noted top-ten recruiter of the last decade, easily, really. So um, all of this needs to play out for these guys, and I would imagine that, you know, uh, they would wait it out before making that final decision. Some other guys Bama's in on, uh, two defensive tackles from Louisiana, Tyler Shelvin, who is committed to LSU and remains committed following this move, uh, as well as Fedarian Mathis, a big, versatile you know, defensive tackle from Monroe, Louisiana. He's another one who looked like a Bama-LSU battle. So they're all going to wait it out, see how this plays out. Uh, and I think retaining Ed Orgeron could be the key for a lot of these defensive guys we're talking about. And we've only talked about one offensive guy in Devontae Smith, so all the other ones. That Orgeron, you know, whether you keep him uh, along with Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator, I think that could go a long way into determining how much of a game Bama can make here. But obviously, uh, it does not hurt Alabama, who always recruits Louisiana well anyway. Uh, so I would imagine that they take a couple of guys from that state. Another one real quick, Todd Harris, uh, the number one safety in Louisiana, a guy Bama nearly landed on the commitment list late in the summer. You know, He's another one going to wait it out. Uh, but Bama might win out here either way. The Tide is in need of safeties, and, and Harris knows he's a priority. But he's another big Louisianan to watch. So, uh, as usual, it'll be a big year in that state for the Crimson Tide. And then you mentioned Dylan Moses is going to visit this weekend officially, uh, and so will Jacob Phillips. Uh, talk about uh, Alabama and where they may stand with this young man. Yeah, this is a kid who, you know, might not be as highly ranked as a Dylan Moses, uh, plays, you know, in Nashville, Tennessee, so you don't hear as much about him, but he's been a busy man, and he's looking to commit here in the next month or so, and this, as far as we know, will be his last official visit. He's already been to Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and Oregon, so a kid who's obviously okay with leaving the volunteer state. So it'll be interesting to see how Bama you know, sort of deals with this recruitment this weekend. You know, there's not a lot of kids officially visiting. We mentioned Moses. Thomas Fletcher, his teammate, is also visiting officially. Robert Beal, a Georgia commitment from uh, IMG Academy. So basically half of that team is coming up for a trip. So that'll be interesting to see how they make up ground with them. But I think Jacob Phillips is the most important visitor for Alabama this weekend. As we mentioned, he is committing in the next month or so, and this could be his last visit. Bama's already hosted him before. He knows he's wanted there. Bama has pushed for him. Uh, and some think it could be a matter of just how much Bama does push for him. Does Bama sort of hit the gas pedal and, and close out his recruitment? Or with this LSU situation and potentially a, a larger chance to land a Dylan Moses uh, or others, does Bama sort of reshuffle the deck uh, and distribute that, that, uh, that love, if you will, that kids look for? So that will be interesting to see with both of them on campus. But I would imagine with – Phillips committing so soon and Moses being such a long-time priority for Alabama, who, you know, the kid knows everything about the tide at this point, I would imagine Bama does try to seal the deal for Jacob Phillips, an inside linebacker who could play outside as well, a versatile guy that, that you know, we see Bama recruiting every year at the linebacker position. I, I could imagine Bama sealing the deal here and, and possibly landing that commitment next month. So he's a guy not talked about a lot nationally, 
but uh, he could very well be a member of this Crimson Tide class. So he's one to focus on, especially this weekend. And I wanted to ask you, since you just got through seeing him in person and you've uh, been evaluating Jacob Phillips, how do you, do you compare and contrast him with uh, a guy like Monty Rice? Yeah, that's a good one, Drew, because this this remaining linebacker spot, you know, Bama's got three linebackers committed, and there's probably a dozen guys, literally, in the running to some degree for that final spot, and Monty Rice is one of them. I think Rice, a little more conducive to sort of the old-school SEC mentality. You know, he probably is a little better at playing the run, but as we said, good enough in coverage. Sort of think of a Sean Dion Hamilton type of guy physically uh, on the field, a little bigger than Sean is, though. Uh, and to where Phillips, a little more athletic, he can rush the passer when needed. So he's a guy that you would anticipate seeing a little bit more blitzing, a little bit more uh, maybe just lining up on the outside and rushing the passer. Very good in space as well, but maybe not as thick and strong at the point of attack against the run. So, uh, again, this is, this is 2016, so you need guys who can do both. And these two are, are, are fairly different. So it'll be interesting to see, again, how Bama pushes for these types of linebackers with you know, rank relatively few spots left. There's 20 commitments right now, um, long way to go to signing day. So, um, you know, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting to see how Bama sorts through these names, especially at linebacker. This is easily the deepest year I can remember, both in the state of Alabama as well as nationally with kids who can do a bit of everything. There's not uh, a lot of easy labels we can throw on these kids. This is an inside guy. This is a pass rusher guy. A lot of these guys can sort of jump back and forth between roles, and I think it makes it, makes it a little harder um, for these teams to, to evaluate that and how they look at uh, them at the next level. So I think Rice a little more stout against the run, Phillips a little more versatile, uh, willing to play against the pass. So, uh, again, you need both types of guys in the SEC with, with the offenses you'll face. So, again, it'll be interesting. But I think with Phillips visiting, he probably takes the cake in terms of a priority between the two, uh, especially with the timing that we mentioned. And I wanted to ask you, we're going to talk to his high school coach in the next hour uh, to start it off at 10 o'clock, John. But uh, what were your thoughts as far as the Crimson Tide's performance this past Saturday and what we saw from Joshua Jacobs? Yeah, you know, it's always been interesting with these freshman running backs. We knew both would play because they're just so immensely talented. I think this is where, you know, Jacobs was able to showcase what he probably has an advantage of over the other three running backs on the roster. It's his vision and ability in the open field. You know, my, my most important stat in looking at a running back, whether it's high school, college, the NFL, and I wish they would keep this stat officially, is making the first guy miss. I think every good running back should be able to do it at least half of the time, whether it's in the hole, in the flat, down the field, a safety, a linebacker, a defensive end, what have you. You should be able to do it around half the time. Well, we charted the plays for Jacob, uh, Jacobs, I should say, and he had 14 touches, a dozen of them, he made the first man miss or, you know, elude the tackle. So I think that shows you a lot about not only his vision, because you have to be able to set that up, not only to make the guy miss, but not run into another guy, you know. And obviously, you know, um, Kent State was focused on that Bama running game to some degree. So he has great vision. He showed that. Uh, but really the ability to set the guy up and make a miss, I thought, was, was borderline elite. You know, uh, I think three of these four backs, with the exclusion of, or the exception of Bo Scarborough, have really great feet. Uh, all four of them have power to some degree, but I think ability to make a man miss, uh, and we saw him catch the football well as well, uh, I think Jacobs, it, that's the one area where he's probably ahead of the other three backs, and, and obviously that's important for Alabama. These guys are going to be making plays in space, so I think that's a reason why you're seeing him 
get the lion's share of the reps at this point with Damian Harris banged up, and I think it could be a prelude of things to come. And then uh, as we're here with John Garcia of Scout.com and BamaMag.com to close it out, John, just any other thoughts on what you saw out of the Kent State performance? Obviously, you know, lesser opponent, but Bama was, was fairly complete. Uh, defensively, you you really can't say nothing uh, or much negative uh, about the Tide. You know, the first play of the game, uh, Sean Dion Hamilton misses a tackle, Ronnie Harrison takes a bad angle, and, and they get 40 yards. But, but after that point, you know, you have to give Bama credit. Uh, just like we saw against USC and, and Ole Miss to a larger degree, Bama got hit in the face and, and bowed up, you know, and Ben but didn't break necessarily, uh, held them to a field goal attempt. They missed it, of course, uh, and from then on, it was the sort of off to the races for the Crimson Tide uh, in terms of that game. Uh, offensively, uh, the freshmen, of course, continue to impress. Jalen Hurts, he can do it with the run. He can do it uh, with his passing. I think um, he's still, you know, uh, downfield. I guess there's a little bit of question marks. Uh, he does like to take chances down the field, not necessarily take what the defense gives him in certain instances. But, again, that aggression mirrors Lane Kiffin. So I think it's something that's probably, you know, keeping him, you know, in that confidence bubble with, with Lane. Um, but, again, the offensive line looked much better. It was the best run blocking I think we've seen this year, uh, and the pass catcher stepped up too. You know, uh, Bama had some guys banged up, uh, but Cam Sims stepped up, a guy that Nick Saban has talked a ton about. We, we saw a lot of the reason why. Uh, and, of course, you still got, you know, Calvin Ridley and, and these tight ends who are going to see more work as well. So a nice luxury for Bama to have. And I thought they, they fired pretty much on all cylinders on both sides of the football. Uh, they did what they should have done, and that's probably something that we couldn't have said through the first three games. Bama could have, should have, would have done a lot of things in those first three, even though they won them all. There were still some clear you know, mistakes and weaknesses and holes. In this game, though, I think it was the first time where you said, you know, they did probably exactly what they should have done to a lesser opponent. So you, you do have to commend them for that. Yeah, you really do. And, John, we always appreciate the conversation. Great stuff. Uh, do you know uh, what your itinerary is going to be this Friday? I'm not. I don't, I should say. You know, we're debating between a few things. We might be down in Florida to see a five-star Bama linebacker commitment. So uh, we're not sure yet, but we'll, we'll be seeing somebody new. Uh, that's a Crimson Tide prospect that we haven't yet seen this fall. Uh, so stay tuned uh, to BamaMag.com, and we'll have it for you with video coverage and uh, pictures, interview, the whole nine yards. Absolutely. And, of course, ScoutHS.com as well. And follow him at John uh, Garcia underscore junior. We really appreciate it as always, sir. Have a safe flight and a great rest of your morning, and we always uh, appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, Drew. Take care. That was John Garcia with Drew DeArmond. Thanks, Drew, for another chunk of audio. And uh, I think we've covered everything, so I'm just going to get us right into this next audio clip. Depending on how long it pushes the show, this might be it. But, you know, take a quick listen. This is Freddie Maggard. Freddie works and covers the Kentucky Wildcats. You know, like I said, the, I started out the show talking about the team. He's going to give us a little insight into what to look for for as Kentucky comes to town for homecoming. This is Drew with Freddie. Freddie, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Drew. I'm well. How about yourself? I hate I hate to hear that about Tim Williams, if that is indeed true. Uh, that would be unfortunate, especially with uh, what he has uh, coming up with the future in the NFL. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just it's very bad timing for Tim. Uh, you know, I don't think yeah. it's going to lead his dismissal from the program, but it still doesn't send the right message, uh, Freddie. And right. and he's he's had a, he's been a young man that's come a long way. He's had a, a long yeah. journey at Alabama and finally started playing up to his potential last year. And uh, we hope uh, that he can get this situation resolved and get back uh, on the gridiron. But speaking of that, uh, the Kentucky Wildcats obviously didn't get off to the year the the, the start they wanted to this season. Uh, following that big lead against the Southern Miss Golden Eagles, uh, but the last couple of weeks uh, they responded, and you know I was really uh, 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 kind of surprised, but in a, in a good way, how well they played last week. I know South Carolina offensively has struggled, but Kentucky I thought really made some strides and got a big uh, home win in the SEC. Yeah, uh, speaking of Southern Miss, Kentucky jumped out the big lead. Yes, came back in the fourth in the second half. Uh, but I like to say it's about it's not personal it's personnel, and I sterilize uniforms with teams. Southern Miss is a much better football team than South Carolina. I'll just get that out of the way. Uh, but Kentucky should have won that game, did not. Went to Florida, didn't show up. Started 0-2, then, then beat New Mexico State, gave up a lot of points. And then Mark Stoops took over the, the defensive play call and responsibility. Uh, yes, you're right, South Carolina offensively is not very good. But I look at the structural, uh, the mechanism, the defensive structure, fundamentals, and mechanism, and players were in the right place, made plays. Uh, defensively, Kentucky held South Carolina to below their season average, 10 points. But I was more impressed with the Kentucky offense going against South Carolina's defense, which the Gamecocks are the fourth, at that time, the fourth-ranked uh, defense in the Southeastern Conference. So I was more impressed about how Kentucky's offense played uh, Steven Johnson now, junior college quarterback from California, is now the quarterback. Drew Parker's injured and out. Uh, played extremely well against New Mexico State. Was a was a game manager in a run-pass option scheme against South Carolina. So you have to realize that in the fourth quarter, Kentucky did not attempt a pass. And during that fourth quarter span, it drove the field for a touchdown and then salted the clock at the end of the game to, to secure the victory. Uh, for your listening audience, Logan Stenberg was in – played the entire fourth quarter nice. uh, at left guard. So I think he had 23, 25 plays there in the fourth quarter. And Kentucky has two, two freshmen now on the left side of the offensive line. That will be Landon Young, a true freshman, five-star offensive tackle. Then situationally, and I'm hoping permanently, eventually, Logan Stenberg will take over that left guard position. And when it's, those two young guys are in, uh, that's a lot of size, a lot of power. They're going to make a few mistakes, but the future bodes well there with those two gentlemen. But Kentucky ran the football with Boone Williams, who's leading the Southeastern Conference, eight yards per carry, leads the conference in long scrimmage plays, long rush plays. But for your fan base, Alabama, you need to realize that there's a true freshman running back by the name of Benny Snell, mm-hmm. leads the SEC with five rushing uh, touchdowns. And I had uh, on my, I host a depth chart podcast, which is on Kentucky Sports Radio. And yesterday I had on uh, a fullback that played during my era, uh, led the SEC in knockdown blocks three years in a row when that was still a statistic. Rusher over 100 yards was drastic. considered the best uh, fullback in the history of the program. He compared Benny Snell uh, to some of those Gary Claiborne running backs that had seven, eight in a row that played in the NFL, which is a high compliment. And then also for your audience, he said that Logan Simberg projects to the NFL as well and is going to be a star at Kentucky I thought that was a high compliment from the young man from your area. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you've been really high on him 
throughout yeah. ever since he uh, signed with Kentucky. And uh, I know sometimes it takes a, a little while to develop and get into the lineup, but he's just a redshirt freshman uh, with such a, a bright future. And, and Benny Snell, yeah. I, I have to admit, uh, you know, I've talked to you throughout uh, the off season, Freddie, and I hadn't really heard too much about him. But man, he w- I, I was watching some of his highlights yeah. the last couple of weeks. Boy, he's been impressive. Yeah, and when you got a one-two-three punch at running back with Boone Williams, uh, who will most likely forego his senior year, go to the NFL. Finished now, true freshman, senior JoJo Kemp. You got to remember him. He he's moving up in the career rushing leader yards at Kentucky. And then there's a fourth one uh, by the name of AJ Rose that's redshirting this year from Cleveland that I think is as good as those three. So the running back position set for Kentucky, uh, where the team will face severe challenges against Alabama is that the offensive tackle position with that mm. pressure coming. True freshman Landon Young at left tackle, going to be a pro. Uh, uh, very, very talented young man. Right tackle Kyle Meadows is a junior. He has struggled at times. The interior of the line is, is Kentucky's strength, but uh, I think Kentucky's going to have an awful hard time with Jonathan Allen and some of those outside rushers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and. Uh, was it a, a surprise? I know you were worried about the Kentucky defense going in, uh, Freddie. Yeah. You talked about how that that was going to be the big key to this season. You liked them offensively. Yeah. Were, were you? Were, but were you still surprised? I know I was. I mean, I, when you have a thirty-five ten lead against Southern Miss, I really, I'm not. Yeah. You know, I, I knew Southern Miss was talented offensively with Nick Mullins, but I really thought they would win that game. That really surprised me. Yeah, it, it did me too. Kentucky should have won that football game. Come back in the second half, Southern Miss controlled the line of scrimmage. And, and you got to realize that Southern Miss has Edo Smith, a running back that's right now the third leading rusher in college football. Good very, point. very, very good football player and a senior quarterback in Nick Mullins. But Kentucky just fell flat in the second half. There's no excuse for that. Should have won the football game, did not. That caused a lot of grumbling up here in Lexington. And then to follow that up with a no show appearance in the swamp, things have been a little tense here in the Big Blue Nation. But uh, come back, beat New Mexico State. Mark Stoops assumed play calling duties in that second half against New Mexico State, held them to seven points, and then had a good showing against South Carolina. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Kentucky's defense is not very good, and uh, I think that will show Saturday against Alabama. Uh, one thing for folks in your state that I'm very proud of is, is Neil Brown has that Troy program rolling, and I'm proud to see him doing that. Yeah, absolutely. He was a former offensive coordinator at Kentucky, and yes. I guess I've got yeah. to ask you this, Freddie: How hot is the seat for Mark Stoops right now? Uh, I, I will say this: Kentucky is the youngest team in college football. Yeah, very young. Yes, it, it, it will lose eight players off this team, two starters. So you have to take that in consideration, and you you want to say, well, why in year four is Kentucky this young? Well. At defensive line, the linebacker, Mark Stoops had to provide band-aids with junior college players. They since moved on uh, because of the roster that Joker Phillips left. Uh, Mark Stoops was, I, I don't even think, a, a Division One roster. So he, he's had to take some drastic moves there with junior college players. Uh, the seat was, was very hot before New Mexico State. It cooled down. And then after the victory against South Carolina, it cooled down a little bit. I don't think Kentucky fans have a misinterpretation of expectations traveling to Tuscaloosa. Uh, but Kentucky gets Vanderbilt, Missouri, and Mississippi State in three consecutive games after Alabama. Kentucky could win all three of those, or at least go two and three in that. That would get them to a bowl game, and things would settle down here in life. 
Yeah, I think so, if they could uh, stabilize. And sometimes uh, people also have to understand that Southern Miss has uh, had a really good year the year before, and they're, and they're going to yeah. be a bowl team. I mean, and, and oh, the yeah. best point you made is personnel-wise, when you take the jerseys off, they're better than South better. Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Southern Miss is better than South Carolina, probably better than Vanderbilt, you know, but give Missouri a heck of a game. So, you know, that's that's what, you know, and all the things I do, I try to take the take the logos off, sterilize the uniforms and just talk pure personnel. And and when you have a fifth-year senior quarterback and Nick Mullins, who, who, who's the top returning pocket passer in college football, Edo Smith, I think, would be a top four or five running back in the Southeastern Conference if he played at a Southeastern Conference school. And then Dylan Bradley, a defensive lineman down there, is as good as Kentucky's seen all year. Now well, they'll face a, a much bigger challenge with Jonathan Allen and, and those guys on the Alabama front. Ruben Foster, obviously, at linebacker. Uh, you know, this, this is Alabama. You know, I've taken an outside look at Alabama, broken it down statistically. The thing that concerns me about Alabama, not in Kentucky perspective, but Alabama going forward, is it's produced 13 sacks, but it's given up eight sacks. That is a mm. high number through mm. four games for a team such as Alabama. I think they need to get that cleaned up, especially the interior of that offensive line. Yeah, that, exactly. I was going to say that's the one thing uh, with Alabama that's been inconsistent. They made a lot of mental errors on the offensive line, had a lot of false yeah. starts, and they had to. The, as you know, they made a change after Southern California and, and uh, Western Kentucky, and now they've gone to uh, Ross Pierce Baker back at left guard, Alphonse Shank Taylor right. back to right. And then uh, they've kept Bozeman at center, but you're right. And even uh, and what's been one surprise, even though I knew he was the best player in the recruiting class, at least that's what I thought, but Jonah Williams has outplayed Cam Robinson at tackle. Yeah, yeah, he has. And sometimes, you know, sometimes with, uh, with players that, that are projecting through the NFL, that happens. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'm not saying that it's what's going on with Cam Robinson, but you get a freshman, a hungry player comes in there and, 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 and takes a little bit more uh, – extra preparation work to, to play better and that's great Kentucky has a true freshman left tackle as well the sky's the limit for Landon Young but he's going to be thrown into the fire at Alabama and it'd be a good learning experience for him he's going to win some of those competitions and he's going to get beaten a few times for example last week against South Carolina uh he was going to get the fifth year senior got beat for a sack the next play he drove that defensive end over top of the pile and then power drives him on top of Logan Simba so you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but those are those, you pile those reps into a mental pile, and, and then you move forward. So, uh, again, you're going to see the youngest team in college football led by a first-year quarterback, a true freshman running back most of the time, a true freshman left tackle, a redshirt freshman guard, and a defense that's made up majority of first-year players. So things could go well for Kentucky or they could go south. You never know with that much youth. Yeah, absolutely, uh, no, no question about that, uh, Freddie. And but I, it still looks like they have a bright future, especially on offense. Yeah. And and you know uh, how much I love Boom Williams. I think he's the most underrated guy yeah. in the league. He just he's had injury yeah. issues, uh, but he he looked really good last week. He looks healthy. Yeah, he does. What, what Boom has done is gotten in better shape. Uh, and I've been the first to say that Kentucky's running backs were not well coached the last two years. I think now they are with Eddie Grant, former Auburn running back coach who developed all those guys. Mm-hmm. He's the offensive coordinator of Kentucky, and he's got these running backs. Once one moving, they cut up field, and Boom Williams is the best Boom Williams that we've seen. He's, he's in shape. When he was caught from behind last year due to due to uh, lack of conditioning, he's now taking those to, to the end zone. Benny Snell, true freshman, has. <laughs> 
he's fascinated the Big Blue Nation because, you know, you'd have to go back to a Jerry Claiborne running back that he, he plays to. We've not seen anything like that. He's 5'10", 5'11", about 225. And if you watch the South Carolina game, he was carrying two, three, four defenders into the end zone and averaging six, seven yards of carry against a good senior-laden South Carolina defense. I'm not saying he's going to do that Saturday, mm. but he will be exciting to, to watch along with Boom Lee. I can tell you Tosh LePoy with the outside linebackers has been stressing in practice 8.2 yards per carry. Yeah. They've watched yeah, a lot know, of tape, and they, they, they know about yeah. Boom. <laughs> yeah, if you take the roster or the depth charts from both programs, running back position, uh, you know, talking about position groups with multiple players that play like running back, I would take Kentucky's running backs right now. Uh, I would not trade for the Alabama running backs. That's how high I am on Boone Williams to finish that. They're going against the defense that they may not look like that on Saturday. Right. But with all things equal, playing an equal opponent, I'll take these Kentucky running backs because, uh, you know, they're the strength of the team and they're, they're pretty electric. But again, going against that defense that's giving up 67 yards rushing per game, it's going to be a tough pass. Yeah, it will. And the thing that's uh, been a little bit surprising for Alabama, you know, Damian Harris, both Scarborough got most of the buzz. Harris got off to a good start, but he got injured last week. And yeah. much like Benny Snell's exploded, Joshua Jacobs had a shining moment last week, and he perhaps may start, even though it looks like yeah. Damian Harris is practicing. I, I like I like the Jacobs story. Uh, his first Power 5 offer was Alabama out of Oklahoma. That's the right one I'm talking about. Uh, you know, I like that story, but Alabama running back their feet. You can go all the way to, you know, go on down the depth chart until you get to Bro Scarborough, which was a 20-to-1 Heisman favorite in the preseason. So the depth of that position for Alabama is significant. And then when you have Jalen Hurts, who can do so many things at quarterback, it opens up the complete offense. Calvin Ridley outside, O.J. Howard at tight end. The weapons on offense for Alabama are endless, just like on defense. I, I feel, uh, and, and I'm going to make this statement, if I had a Heisman vote, which I don't, I would vote them Lamar Jackson from Louisville one, mm-hmm. and then I would put Jonathan Allen, Alabama two. Wow, I mean he. That's, he, that's how, and I've watched all every game Alabama played, and you know I go all the back all the way back to Copeland Curry, uh, uh, Keith McCants, Derek Thomas, Cornelius Bennett, the guys I played against. Jonathan Allen is a special special football player on a special football program. That's what I think about him. Dustin Allen does not have to use elite technique to beat offensive players because he's that good, but he does. Uh, he, With all that talent, all that skill, all that ability, watching him on film, my viewpoint on Johnson Allen is that he plays with the effort of a walk-on trying to make special teams. That's what makes him so elite. Yeah, and I, I got, I've made this statement on the show, Freddie. I've been watching Alabama, as you know, for years and for for 30-plus years. I, he reminds me of 94, John Copeland at Alabama. He's the best yep. all-around defensive end since that time. And that's yep. no disrespect to anybody that's come through Coach Saban's yep. program. There's been a lot of them, yep. but uh, he is the best one. Yeah, I mean, again, if I had a Heisman vote, it would be Lamar Jackson 1, Jonathan Allen 2. That's what I think about him, and that's what I think about when I, you know, here you hear Coach Saban talk about the process. Yes, sir. For Jonathan Allen, what he's done, came back, developed his work ethic, his efforts. To me, as an outsider, Jonathan Allen defines the process that Nick, Nick Saban speaks about so often. 
and, the, and, that, and that's well said, Freddie. And I wanted to ask you, I know this is a young group, and you say that and they are struggling, but uh, have there been some bright lights for Kentucky's defense? I know you were high on the secondary going into the season. Yeah, yeah, there has been. Well, I mean, the cornerbacks are as good as Kentucky's had in decades, but the defensive front seven has struggled so much that they've been had to come up to make so many tackles that they've gotten beat on a couple of double moves. Derek Beatty and Chris Westry are, are upper-level SEC cornerbacks that are having to make too many plays because of the front seven, but they're very good. And, and the, the Southeastern Conference leading tackler is a young man by the name of Jordan Jones, a true sophomore, plays for Kentucky, plays linebacker number 34. You're going to see him all over the field on Saturday against Alabama. Uh, he's the Energizer, Energizer Bunny. 6'2", maybe 230, undersized, but mean as a snake. A typical Youngstown Cardinal Mooney football player uh, would run up and hit a house if he had to, would run through a wall if he could, and there's no quitting him. Now, that that's a bright spot. The other middle linebacker, Courtney Love, has struggled. Uh, outside linebacker Denzel Ware from Ops, Alabama, uh, a four-star kid that Kentucky signed a couple years ago, was the SEC's defensive lineman of the week last week against South Carolina. Two sacks, two tackles for loss. Uh, seven tackles, uh, a dynamic player, but he's not, he's not had a lot of help. Uh, so, but the defensive line is where you're going to see some struggles. Matt Elam, Kentucky-Alabama recruiting battle. Uh, Northwest Kringle, a junior college player, has taken his position at nose tackle, even though Elam will play. But Kentucky just does not have depth, uh, does not have the size nor the skill to play up to a team such as Alabama on the defensive line. And then, Freddie, I wanted to talk about Jones. Uh, You're talking about Jonathan Allen and the effort he plays with. I'm hearing the yeah. same thing about Jones, that he basically yeah, has been challenging his teammates since that slow yeah. start to meet, to, yeah. ma- to, ma- to match the effort and intensity that he plays with. Yeah. You know, you make a great point. You know, I talk about Jerry Flavin a lot, my coach, who, was, who played and coached under Bear Bryant, which is the tie with Alabama there. Mm-hmm. Doug Martin was the head coach, is the head coach in New Mexico State, brought his team back to Commonwealth Stadium. Thus, a lot of Claiborne guys came back for that game just to see Doug and to see each other. And the consensus with all those guys was, was that if Kentucky on defense had six players of the 11 that played with the effort, fire, desire, and resolve of Jordan Jones, that defense would be much better. Mm. Because you're going to see a young man that from warm-up to the end of the end of the game, will not stop running, talking, hitting something. He will do something continuously. And I think against South Carolina, you saw his teammates meet the challenge that he presented to them because he called them out in public, in front of the media, and in the team meeting. I mean, he, he said it was unacceptable, and it was. And uh, the defensive teammates that he has answered that call somewhat against South Carolina. Yeah, they really did, and they played much better. And, uh, and, and Freddie, uh, what – what I know that the number is so big, I, I, I would I definitely it's thirty four points. I, I I don't think Alabama will cover that because I just think Coach Saban he has a lot of respect for Mark Stoops. They go back a long ways. He recruited him in yeah. high school when he was at Michigan State. What kind of chances yeah. do you see for Kentucky Saturday? Uh, I don't think Kentucky will win. To be quite honest with you, I just want to see fight resolve, and I don't want to see quit uh, like we saw at Florida. Uh, but you know, it has some circumstances there. What we did not know was that, was that Kentucky starting quarterback Drew Barker had been battling a back injury 
Mm. He took the shot the first game, first play of the game. Never was the same. Kentucky never bounced back. Sort of rolled. Um, you know, I want to see some fight. I want to see Kentucky play for sixty minutes. And then, not going to win the football game most likely, but I want to see him compete and then get back here with some feeling of positivity going into three very winnable games with Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Missouri. And then finally, uh, I wanted to circle back to Steven Johnson. Uh, he's played pretty well since taking over for Barker. Yeah, do, you yeah. think, do you think Barker will get his job back when healthy? Uh, I'm not for sure. You know, you're just talking about a 20-year-old kid with back problems. That's going to be hard to come back for him, you know, because quarterback takes so much force from the midsection and the back, and you could take a shot on that back, and I, I'm just not so sure he comes back this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had some friends around the Auburn program tell me that <laughs> that Auburn signed the wrong junior college quarterback. Yeah, exactly. They, they That's would, what I was going to say. They would do anything in the world to have Stephen Johnson because his first game, 17 to 21, 300 yards, touchdown, 51 yards rushing uh, against South Carolina. Offensive coordinator Eddie Grant said, "Okay, we're, we're going to we're going to run straight at this veteran defense, and we're going to use all of our young kids on the offensive line to do so, and we're going to give the football to a true freshman running back, and that's what they did. You know, uh, 351 yards of offense, 212 yards rushing, which is a good number for Kentucky to have. But the last two games, Kentucky's done something it hadn't done in the first two, and that's control the time of possession. So." If Kentucky maintains some sort of uh, closeness and time of possession and, and runs the football somehow effectively, little play action pass, and, and, and with a running quarterback like Steven Johnson, then, you know, Kentucky could, could put up a fight. But, you know, realistically, and I'm a realist, I don't see Kentucky having a chance of winning, but go down there, be competitive, and put up a good fight. Well, and I think they will. And uh, again, uh, it, it's been our pleasure to have you, Freddie. We always yeah. enjoy talking uh, Kentucky football. And again, uh, ch- connect yeah. with Freddie at Fred Maggard uh, on uh, Twitter, and he's part of Kentucky Sports Radio. He just released the yeah. Depth Chart podcast on uh, for Alabama, Kentucky. Great stuff. And of course, he's part of the UK Radio Network. Hope to meet yeah. you Saturday in Tuscaloosa, Freddie, and uh, put, you know, and uh, in person. It'd be great to catch up. And uh, we thank you yeah. for always joining uh, Talking Ball, man. Great conversation, man. Not, not a problem, and if uh, you know, keep just follow me on Twitter or go to a KSR because uh, you know, since signing day, there's not been a bigger Logan Stenberg advocate or fan than me. Uh, I saw the potential in that young man, and I think uh, if he keeps developing on the pace that he's on right now, I think Logan Stenberg would play in the NFL. Absolutely, and that would be so uh, outstanding for this community. He was the first SEC prospect from James Clemens High School, yeah, which has now and grown on quite a bit. Of Thank you for sending him to Lexington. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Freddie, have a great rest of your morning, man. We really right. appreciate it. Thank you. All right, bye. All right, that was Freddie McGard. He covers uh, Kentucky and gave us a little preview of what to look for, who to look for, how to look for. One last bit of audio before we get out of here. We're going to cut the show short, about hour 45 minutes. This is going to be one more thing from Drew. This is Jarvis Payne. Jarvis Payne coach Joshua Jacobs, you know, that true freshman that's probably number two on the depth chart and might start against Kentucky depending on how Damian Harris looks the day of. Yeah, that Josh Jacobs. So this is Drew with Jarvis Payne. Coach Payne, uh, welcome to Talking Ball here in Huntsville, Alabama, in the Rocket City. Uh, uh, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. Glad to be aboard. 
Yes, sir. And uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to join us uh, and uh, kind of glean, glean some more insight for, to, the, to some of our listeners that may not be as familiar with Joshua's uh, uh, journey to Alabama. But I know in this uh, day of social media and uh, Facebook and uh, so many things and Huddle Film, uh, he, his story was very unique. I was uh, privileged to be a little, a small part of it. Uh, someone uh, that's in the recruiting industry called me uh, about three weeks before signing day and started. Uh, we we talk a lot. Uh, he he lives in the state of Texas and he was uh, asking me about Alabama's running back board and uh, you know kind of what their needs were and uh, I follow the program very closely and then he he said, well I've got a guy that I think's uh, better than anyone that they that they've recruited and he said, but you need to watch the film and we just found it about a week ago. And then he uh, he showed it to me, and the rest is history. I kind of we we both tried to kind of pass it on to Alabama's coaching staff, but I guess just kind of talk about Joshua and uh, kind of how that all he he came into your program and how that all came about. Well, Josh had been in our program since the eighth grade because we have seventh and eighth graders aboard, um, but he's just always been a hard worker, um, really a low key kid. You know, he was a little undersized when he first came in. And between his junior and senior year, he just really had a big growth spurt. Um, he just got a lot more hungrier. We always knew he had talent. I mean, that was never, that was always a given. But just his hunger and determination really came through between his junior and senior year. So his senior year, we decided to kind of focus everything towards him so he could really be seen because he had that loyalty to our program. And we felt the need to just kind of showcase him a little more. So we made him a Wildcat quarterback. And then this, the rest is his history. I mean, he just kind of took control of it, and his, his, his football knowledge has really helped the position out. Yeah, Coach, and, and from talking to people that are familiar with the state of Oklahoma in that area, uh, McLean, their history is not is uh, is storied as some other programs, and a lot of uh, of the, some of the talented players, as you said, uh, you, you showcased Joshua his senior year, but some of them move on to uh, bigger uh, schools. He decided to stay loyal to McLean and kind of try to help elevate your program. Uh, yes, he really did a good job. I mean, because people every year were trying to pick at him just to get him out, just like they do all the other you know, good athletes that we have in our area, because we really have a decent group. But a lot of them choose to leave. Well, Josh was real loyal to our program, and that's why I felt the need to really showcase him, it just you know, just to give give back to him just a little bit for being dedicated to our our area, because our area is kind of it's just one of those neighborhoods that you know just kind of gets overlooked and just because you know because of the area and the low income and that so forth and things. A lot of people just think that there's nothing over here, so they kind of overlook this area. And then uh, and talk about uh, the, the his career at McLean. Uh, the thing that struck me from uh, watching film uh, and then talking to people that were familiar with it and had and then speaking to his father, uh, he also played defense for you for part of his career uh, and running back. And as you said, you guys moved him to Wildcat quarterback as a senior. But uh, just kind of talk about the roles he played for you throughout his career. Well, Josh could have played any position. He could have been our pulling guard if we needed him. <laughs> he's just that kind. He's just that kind of kid. Uh, he could have been a wide out. He could be a college safety because I mean, he really can lay the hammer and he loves contact. If it was up to Josh, we would hit every day at practice. You know, I mean, I know he's elusive, but he loves contact as well. But he's just he's just a gifted kid. Plays basketball. He was one of the point guards on the basketball team. He's just a all around good athlete, and it's just his drive and his hunger is just on a whole nother level. Yeah, and that's the one thing that struck me. Uh, I was watching some of his film on defense. I think he was playing defensive end, and you could tell he liked to hit. 
He did not shy away from contact. And when I showed his film, once I saw it that, that night to five or six other people that I trust, and they all raved about it. And the thing that they also noticed was that he went out of his way sometimes when he was finishing runs uh, to, to uh, look for someone uh, to run over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just he doesn't shy away from contact. You know, even at quarterback, he would go back and back back and pull and block even after you hand the ball off. So, like I said, he's just – he would do anything for our team to win and that's just why I wanted him to have a great senior year so that's why we just tried to work so hard to get his name out there we we sent this tape out to everybody we could think of and just for some reason it just wouldn't take off until we finally put it on social media yeah absolutely and and kind of talk about that coach from what I was told uh during his uh process of before his senior season he did go to a camp at North Texas but really didn't go to a lot of those camps and combines and so he did kind of fly under the radar and then like you said but just kind of expand on that with the how you what happened after you uh put the uh the, the film on social media well, you know, a lot of times kids don't have the means to afford to go to all those camps. You Great know? point. And, and, it, and it's, it's just kind of tough if you don't go to those camps because a lot of recruiting is done ahead of time through those camps. So I think that's kind of had something to do with it. But um, just just I knew he, we had something with his tape just looking at it, and I just thought that once we could get somebody actually to bite on it, it would kind of pick up. And, you know, and me and Josh talked about it, and he kind of got upset a little bit, but, you know, I, I just said, let's stay strong and just keep doing what we can do on the field, and then it will come. And we just kept a positive mindset on it. And like I said, we just finally found the right people that could to get him out there so he could be seen. Yeah, and then uh, I, as far as the story goes, I know um, uh, that he, he only had uh, offers, I know, from Wyoming and New Mexico State. I know Tulsa was also very interested in him in, uh, in uh, your uh, home city there. Uh, but uh-huh. – uh, Talk about how it really started to explode when I know Missouri and then Oklahoma got interested in him. Yeah, you know, at first it was really Wyoming was 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 the love, and you know he was okay with going to Wyoming because it was a great staff, you know. But they just couldn't produce what the other guys came in with. At, you know, toward the end uh, when Missouri started showing up, and then OU showed up, and and then it just kind of took off from there. Um, but like I said, he just. He just stayed focused, and he listened to everyone and gave everybody his their due, and then he just made a choice that was right for him. And then uh, talk about uh, Coach Burns. I know uh, he came to the high school uh, and, uh, and and visited and watched him play basketball, and a, a big part of Coach Saban's uh, evaluations, he likes to watch young men play other sports and see how athletic they are. But what was you and your staff's uh, impression of Coach Burns? Oh, we, I mean, we hit off right off the bat, and the basketball coach already had a kind of a relationship with him. He had knew him ahead of time, and so we sat down. We all sat there and watched, you know, Josh play basketball in, in, a, in a pickup game and through practice. And we just all—he started doing stuff that just kind of turned heads. And I—I I don't know if he was short, but it just looked like stuff that Josh normally does to us because we've been around him a long time. But Coach Burns seemed to really love what he saw, so that really helped everything out. Yeah, it really did. And the one thing that also. Uh, that I've enjoyed uh, from talking to his father and then Joshua on signing day is, uh, as you said, he's a very well-rounded, driven kid. Uh, his father told me he wants to be an engineer. Uh, the uh, academic uh, part uh, was not an issue with him at all. Uh, no, it wasn't. I mean, he passed the ACT the first time he took it. Um, you know, he just it's just a kid that gets it. You know, he gives back to the community. You know, he used to volunteer with our little leagues up here on Saturday morning. 
Um, he just wants to be around the kids. I mean, and he would help out people on our team. We'd give them some extra work at practice. And he was a, a leader by demonstration. You know, he wasn't really bossy. You know, he just, you know, anybody would want extra help, he would give it to them. You know, he would lend his time. And that's what I really loved about him because he really shared himself with everyone. And he wanted everyone to enjoy this process with him. And then speaking of the process, I know uh, he was frustrated that he wasn't getting more looks, but once uh, the Missouri and OU showed up, I know it exploded. And I, I know he, he, he commented to you how crazy things were getting. But uh, what, kind of talk about uh, how his uh, vi- official visit process kind of unfolded because he decided to take a trip to Missouri and then took the trip to Alabama on the really uh, within like a four-day span. Uh, what was his kind of feedback to you after he took those visits, Coach? I mean, he really liked both visits. Um, just, just I, when they came to see him at the basketball game, and then everything just kind of hit so fast that he almost had to make an immediate decision because all the the visits were almost up. You know, the time was almost up because we were almost at signing day, and so we would just sit and look at like, you know, such and such call today, and he was like, wow, I can't believe it. You know, because we've been trying for like forever to get to get people in, and then all of the big name coaches came within the latter. No, just a matter of a couple of weeks, and it just—it's we pretty much started with Indiana on a Sunday. They called me early Sunday morning before for church, and then from there it just got just wild. That every day it was like two or three would call, and it was just—it just kind of you know skyrocketed from there. But it was just almost unbelievable to us because we had been trying so hard to get him out there, and it was just a great feeling. Yeah, and I know uh, it, what one thing that struck me from watching his announcement on National Signing Day is the uh, really the entire school and uh, football team, especially, uh, got to play a part in the in the situation. I mean, he's just so well liked at our school that everybody just just wanted it for him, and we were all in it together. It was like everybody was going through the recru- recruiting process with him, and the, and the team really loved him. So it really. It really just made it great for our community, and and like I said, I I, I enjoyed most of the the process, and like I said, toward the end, it was just a great feeling to see him actually get that accomplish, accomplishment that he was wanting. And I know you you are uh, of course a mentor to him throughout. When did he tell you uh, of his decision uh, that he was going to sign with Alabama? You know, I found out. I, I kind of had an idea, but he. I wanted it to be a surprise for me as well because uh, I really wanted it to be his decision because we always emphasize, you know, be a man and, and make your decision that you stand on it. So I didn't want to influence him because I want everything to be for him and about him. So I wanted to just be a, just a surprise to everyone else. I kind of had uh, a pretty good clue that he was going to choose them because he had liked Alabama for so long. Um, you know, that's just one of his growing up, you know, just thinking about Alabama all the time and just how they handle things and, and just the way the program is, you know, he just loves that that kind of, you know, atmosphere. So I just knew he was going to choose Alabama. But, like I said, I wanted to be surprised like everyone else. So I found out pretty much the morning that everyone else found out. And now uh, I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i tried to keep uh, close tabs on him since he enrolled and just talking to people close to the program. And uh, once he got there in May, Coach, uh, it didn't take him long to impress. And I wasn't surprised because, again, of his intelligence – uh, and how and the, and the kind of young man he is, and from talking to his father, uh, and his father's a, a been a great uh, you know mentor to him also, an influence in his life. And it hasn't been easy at times growing up, as you said, uh, where he was. But he he's always worked so hard, and I think they he impressed quickly in seven on seven with his intelligence and being able to pick up the offense. Have you been surprised at how well he's done so soon? 
I mean, I would probably sound arrogant, but no, I'm not really surprised because, I, like I said, I know his hunger, and he's going to do what it takes to make it because we'd always talk about it. he's coming for everything that they said he couldn't have. And he's got that chip on his shoulder, not really a chip, but he just has that hunger to be successful in life. And his dad has done a great job raising him, and they've always had those talks. And like I said, they would always have their quiet room talks, and, and we would all sit down, and, and just everything about it was just positive. You know, no matter what our circumstances are, we have to be successful. And we always, I've always told him, I said, I hate to put this pressure on you, but when we have a kid that's your kind of talent coming out of our neighborhood, you have to be successful. So we kind of, that's all we really ever talked about, and he's there, he's lived up to every bit of it. Yeah, and uh, his playing style and just the way he's come out of his uh, neighborhood and been uh, such a uh, stalwart so early, it reminds me so much of Mark Ingram and when he came out of Flint, Michigan. We've all seen what he's been able to accomplish uh, in his career. Uh, but have you has Joshua been uh, back home since he enrolled? And when he, if so, what was his feedback to you about what he'd uh, what he'd experienced thus far? Uh, he came home earlier, just before this season had started. And, and like I said, I really didn't get a chance to talk to him. We just texted a little bit off and on. But he seemed to really be enjoying this stuff. I mainly talked to his dad. Mm. His dad would give me you know, a lot of feedback, you know, about how he was doing. And it seemed like he was doing well. So, like I said, like I just want him to grow up and, and be his, his own man. Like I said, just how we preach, you know. And so I, I, I figured he would be just fine. And then, uh, Coach, and uh, we, we thank you for the time uh, that's been in these few minutes during your planning period at McLean High School. What what do you think the ceiling is for Joshua? Because he may be uh, in, in – uh, I know he's going to play quite a bit Saturday, but he could get his first start already in a Crimson Tide uniform with the injury to Damian Harris. Uh, just He really seems to be getting better now every, with the, the more he plays. But what what can he accomplish in your mind at Alabama, Coach? I mean, it's, the sky's the limit for him because this kid, I, I still don't feel like he's stepped into all his potential just yet. So, And like I said, it, once he gets comfortable and really gets the grasp of how everything is done and the speed of the college game, I think it's going to even explode and, and, and be even more. I think he can be phenomenal. Yeah, I, I think so too. I I just think the sky's the limit, and he's and he, he's so mature already for a freshman. You can tell the moment's not too big, and uh, I was marveling at uh, how he's done uh, as a pass receiver. And uh, talking to someone uh, yesterday on the program, coach, he's already picking up the pass protections. Uh, but I know you're not surprised by that. His football IQ is so high. That's probably one reason why you guys played him at quarterback for you as a senior. Uh, yes, we're in a tough district in 4A3. Like I said, the top three teams in the 4A is in our same district. So he's used to competition. And like I said, there's never a dull moment. But just his competitive spirit, I think you people underestimate how much, how driven this kid is. And and like I said, he, he's, he's ferocious on the inside. And so I, I just think the sky's the limit for him. And, uh, Coach, we are going to be – just, just uh, on pins and needles, watching him, and uh, just uh, you're going to enjoy the journey, just as I know your community will. And it's going to be so big for your school uh, and uh, the exposure he's going to be able to get uh, McLean High School in Tulsa. Because, as you said, succeeding coming from your program. Uh, but we we want to thank you for joining uh, Talking Ball and giving us some insight into Joshua Jacobs. And we look to, to for him to continue uh, his meteoric rise at Alabama. And it's going to be great uh, for you and your program. And it's a credit to you and your staff for helping the young man develop. Thank you. I sure appreciate it.
That was Joshua Jacobs High School coach Jarvis Payne with Drew DeArmond, and uh, that's pretty much going to do it for the audio blocks. Again, I apologize for the show not being live and not running smoothly. That was outside of our control, but we'll, with any luck, we'll be back next weekend. Next week, excuse me, getting everybody ready for the Tides road trip. Uh, I do want to say one more thing, and uh, I'm going to wax poetic here for a little bit, so please bear with me. The Kentucky game is the culmination of Alabama's homecoming uh, festivities, and I'm an alumnus of the University of Alabama, proud alumnus of the University of Alabama, and homecoming is always special to me, and I hope it's special to any of the other alumni out there, and really, it's just a time to get together and have a good time. It's, It's a typical homecoming game. Alabama should really beat up on Kentucky, but... You know, stay safe, enjoy homecoming, and uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully live. That That is an important thing, hopefully live, to talk more Alabama football. But until then, everybody have a great rest of your week, and roll tide.